Hey everybody, welcome back to the Honor of Kings podcast. This is Lee and we are still talking trumpets. We are uh, still in the Delivering the Remnant series. Uh, today we'll be covering the fifth trumpet. Um, so just something before, before we get to a word of prayer here, just to wrap our head around is uh, recall that the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the seals in Revelation 6, and now um, these trumpets in Revelation 9, these are all lumped together, right? So um, the trumpets agree with the churches and seals. They're a repeat and large of them. So today, the fifth trumpet is the fifth church of Sardis. And therefore, it's the fifth seal in Revelation 6. Um, so and as we're going to see, the papacy arose in the fourth trumpet. So now we are we are coming into this new era. So we know that we're somewhere in the dark Middle Ages, and this is uh, depicting the rise of our reformers. And we really can see that when we look at the fifth seal. And we are going to start our study with the fifth seal instead of the fifth trumpet. Then we will get to the trumpet. So we can kind of pave the way for what we're getting ready to study. Um, so let's have a word of prayer, and then we will get into this. Father, uh, we come to you in the name of Jesus, humbly and hungry, um, awaiting to study your word, Father. And we thank you that we have this technology, that we can fellowship with people all over the world, that we can meet together here with your word and learn your word together, Father. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit be with us, that you guide me as I uh, speak and you guide the listeners, that you give them truth and you give them a hunger for the the word, you give them a hunger to study, Father, and we just ask that you pour that hunger out on Christians everywhere because uh, as it's becoming blatantly obvious through your prophecies and the things we see around us that it's your word that is being cast aside and we are heaping up for ourselves teachers, Father. So we just ask that you pour out this hunger that, that people hear podcasts like this um, or hear from other people that, that are talking about these issues and they get encouraged and they get excited about coming back and digging into the Bible, Father. Again, we just we ask you to, to bless this episode and bless the listeners. And we thank you, Father, for your love, your grace, and your mercy in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Okay. <clears throat> so as stated... We are going to go to the fifth seal rather than the fifth trumpet to start this off. So we are going to turn in our Bibles to Revelation 6, verse 9. And scripture says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. <clears throat> okay, so again, we're looking at this one so it'll help us understand the trumpet. Um, so when we look at this, we see we have souls under the altar. Um, now, what is an altar for? Um, an altar is, is for sacrifice. Anytime you have an altar, that's for sacrifice. And it's the same reason you have a priest. A priest is for sacrifice. So 
when you look at the the Catholic Church and they always have an altar up in the front and they have a priest, of course, there's a reason for this. Is because when they do the Eucharist, then they, they take their sun wafer out that is very Mithraism-esque. You know, it, it's part of the Mithraism paganism that was merged into the Catholic Church. When they take that out... They claim that a miracle transpires and that that wafer becomes the literal flesh of Jesus. And then their wine becomes the literal blood of wine, or blood of Jesus, excuse me. So in essence, what they are doing is every time they do the Eucharist, they are crucifying Jesus again. They're sacrificing him again. And we're told in scripture that his sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice. And so again, that's why they have an altar, but we have an altar here. So these people have been sacrificed and they died for the word of God and the testimony they held. So what was their testimony? Well, again, as we said in the open, we know this comes after the papacy in the fourth seal, fourth trumpet, fourth church. Um, so in this era, when the papacy is fully in charge, who is he putting to death? And that would be the people that were preaching the whole gospel. The people that were pointing at the papacy as being the little horn power, as being Antichrist himself. These would be our reformers. And amongst these names, these legendary names that we have as the fathers of our movement, we have John Wycliffe, who was the morning star of the Reformation. We have a, a group called the Waldenses um, that were hidden up in mountains and stuff. We have uh, Jan Hus. We have Jerome, Martin Luther, Ulrich Zingli. His name's hard to say. Uh, William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English. We had the Bohemians that were constantly being attacked in their little, in their hideaway community. The Pope was sending armies and over and over and over sending armies and they were being thwarted mysteriously because God had, was actually protecting these people who had, all of them had fragments of scripture. You know, not anybody had like a full Bible at this time, but you know, your neighbors might have had Isaiah and then somebody over here had Jude and so forth. These people had, as a community, they had the scripture. And so they worked together to learn it and study it. Um, and so all the people I just mentioned and, and many, many, many more, along with the two witnesses of Revelation, um, that would be the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you can see our Zechariah study for more on that. They carried the light of truth through the dark ages when the papacy had outlawed the Bible and was putting people to death for speaking up on the Bible. But we have these brave people that came out of the church and said, no, you know, you're, you're teaching error. Um, this is heresy. We are going to come out and start our own church. So that seal is, is showing us that these are um, our reformers, our martyred reformers that came out were being burnt at the stake and 
uh, beheaded and all these other things that were going on. Now they were given robes and they were to rest until their brethren would be killed in the same manner. So in Revelation 24, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Um, so these martyrs are going to be gathered together throughout time, the ones that were past, present, and all the way up until the second coming of Jesus, these martyrs are going to be gathered together and raised at once. Now we already understand that people aren't in heaven and hell right now, um, that that is a false tradition that we've been taught by the Roman church system, that everybody is asleep <coughs> excuse me, until Jesus returns, and then he raises the dead and then raises the living to him. Those are the people that are saved. Um, and so when this Revelation uh, 20 verse 4, it also says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. A soul is your carbon-based body when it is combined with your spirit or your ruach, the breath of life that God breathes into you. That is what a living soul is. It is what you are right at this moment as you're listening to this. A soul is not some transparent uh, internal being of yourself that comes out and floats around after you die. You are the living soul with the breath of life in your carbon-based body. So if anything... In the cartoon, somebody dies and then the little ghostly thing comes out. That's not a soul, it's a spirit. You know, so there's a difference. So when he says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, they have been resurrected in their glorified bodies is what he sees here. He doesn't see, you know, translucent, you know, formless uh, spirits floating around. That's not what he's seeing. He sees them in their resurrected, glorified bodies. Okay. <clears throat> so it's in this era of the martyrs that we have to view the trumpet. Now the Revo uh, Reformation era is dated and there's different dates. Some people consider different starting times for all this. It's, the general consensus is 1517 to 1648. But the Bohemian Reformation started before this. And for our purposes, we're going to say that it starts at least with John Wycliffe, who dies in 1384 of the palsy. So we're going to get back into that era with this. Um, and he was called before popes over and over and persecuted and harangued and harassed and threatened. Um, all kinds of stuff for speaking the truth. So, but... It doesn't matter the exact date, so we just want to be in the ballpark and we want to know what people were talking about to make sense of the symbology that we're going to see moving forward. So with all of that said, and that was a mouthful, we will turn to Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now we've established over and over that this star falling from heaven is a reference to Satan. Uh, we're going to look at that again when we get to the bottom of this. But what is the bottomless pit? That's important. What is the bottomless pit? 
So we're going to look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And this is in the King James Version. There's a reason I'm pointing that out. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so you may not see it yet, but the bottomless pit is in the second sentence of the Bible. It's in verse 2 of Genesis. Now, Revelation is obviously written in Greek, but Genesis is written in Hebrew. So we need to bridge this language barrier to see what that Hebrew word that equates to the Greek word is. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to look at our Septuagint, which is the oldest Old Testament that we have written in Greek. And so we're looking at here... After it's all broken down, we're looking at face of the deep. In the Septuagint, when we look at the word used here, it's abyssos. Um, so when we look at the bottomless pit in Revelation, we get the Strong's G12 abyssos or abyss. So we have an equivalency here. The abyss, the bottomless pit is the abyss. And the face of the deep is the abyss because the same Greek word is used for both. So the face of the deep is the bottomless pit. Ultimately, what this is saying is the abyss is this world in which we live in. We are already on the bottomless pit. We are on the earth. And so what we see in Genesis is that um, the earth was chaotic it was void. It was engulfed in darkness. The spirit was there, but wasn't presently moving. Now, it was about to, but it wasn't. It was in a waiting state. This is much like the Dark Ages. The world was in darkness, as we saw with the previous trumpets. And in the previous episodes, we discussed how the two witnesses were dispatched during this time. They were the Old and New Testament. The spirit was in a waiting period, a watching over period. The word was not moving, but the fragments of the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, they were held together by the Waldenses, by the Bohemians, by various other groups. They, as, as the papacy did everything it could to destroy scripture, to get rid of it, to corrupt it, to do anything that they could. These groups of people and those two witnesses that stayed strong through 1260 years of papal domination, they carried the scripture through to the end to our reformers could come out to the world with it and make Bibles with it and show the masses of people that this is the gospel truth, not what they're telling us in here. Um, so... Now, so Satan, it says, had the angel that falls, Satan, he has the key to the bottomless pit. So this means that he has control or authority over the world in some degree. Now, Jesus says in John 14, 30, um, hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He's talking about Satan there, the prince of this world. Um, and we hear Jesus say, you know, in scripture, he says, this is not my kingdom. My kingdom is in heaven, right? So this is Satan's kingdom that we were on. Um, and so when you contrast 
Satan being the prince of this world, and you look at Isaiah 22, 22, uh, scripture says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders, Jesus, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. We get the exact same thing in Revelation 3, 7. Um, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. Again, this is Jesus. He that openeth, no man shutteth, and he that openeth, uh, and no, whatever he shuts, nobody else opens. Sorry, I'm, I got tongue-tied and tangled up in there. Sorry. But um, so Jesus has the key to David. This means he has the key to the church, the key to the heavenly kingdom. That's his kingdom. Because Jesus is prophesied to sit on the throne of David. But Jesus' throne is higher. If he's on this throne, it's the throne in heaven as well. Yes? So he has this key, but Satan has the key to the earth. Now, you know, don't get it twisted. God is on the throne. He is in control. But free will, and he has a point to make. He wants to show all living beings, even the angels, this is what it's going to be like when Satan is running the show. This stuff has to play out. So he is on the throne. He can intercede and intervene, and he does at times when he needs to according to his will and his plan. But Satan is actually the one running events on this planet. So we, we have to we have to understand that. Isaiah 14, 12, uh, oldie but a goodie. You hear that a lot on this show. How art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou art cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations. So <clears throat> this is just to reconfirm, you know, fallen from heaven. This is the star that's coming down like lightning and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but this goes on to say weaken the nations. This is exactly what's been going on since the third trumpet. When you see nations here that Satan is weakening, you might assume this means countries, but that's not completely accurate. Nations is the Strong's Hebrew, 14.7.1. It's goyim, pagans, heathens, people, swarms of locusts. Now, yes, this can mean pagan nations, but pagan people are the key to all this, the goyim. And when you when you discuss like uh, Freemasonry, excuse me, Rosicrucianism, Illuminati stuff, all of this, they refer to the common people as goyim because they have, in these esoteric circles, in their upper levels of knowledge and enlightenment, they have all this stuff that we can't understand and we don't know. We're just the cattle, we're the goyim. Um, so Satan has come down and is weakening us, the goyim, the pagans, the heathens, you know, the, the common people without this extra knowledge and so forth. So he is sifting those who are not rooted firmly in Jesus Christ and in scripture. Now, this is those that follow other gods. And so what does that also mean? It means that that can be people in our churches. Um, well, how can that be? Well, because if you're, if you're following one of these apostate church systems, they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. Some churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, they're talking about God and everybody assumes, well, this is the same, 
Jesus, same God, same Holy Spirit. But the thing is, stuff that they're teaching you about these three aren't biblical. And the second that they start teaching you things about Jesus that aren't biblical, all of a sudden that's no longer Jesus you're worshiping. It's a false Jesus. And so if you have a false Jesus, what do you have? You have a false God, and therefore you have a false idol. You're now a pagan. You're a pagan dressed up in Christian clothes, but you're not worshiping the true Jesus. I hope that makes sense. And that's what's going on in a whole bunch of, if frankly, the majority of our churches. This is what's happening. Um, and we've discussed this through the Seals, the King of the North series, the Little Horn Power series, etc. But Satan's job, his mission, his purpose was to infiltrate these churches and turn them inside out and corrupt everything that is God, that is the Holy Spirit, that is Jesus. He doesn't care if he gets you to deny it. He doesn't care if he gets you to believe in a different Jesus. Um, doesn't matter. He doesn't care if he gets you believing in little lizard men like on History Channel, ancient aliens that seeded this planet and grew us um, like crops. He doesn't care as long as you don't believe in the true Jesus and you don't understand the true Jesus. So <clears throat> now let's get back to the, the trumpet, uh, Revelation 9 verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Okay, so we see with this sun and air being darkened, we've already discussed previously that the sun here is a representation of Christ's righteousness being obscured. It's his light that he is shining into the world. In the dark ages, that's obscured by the papacy. Uh, and the air that's also, you know, being darkened here, we look at air and it's one of the symbols used to describe the Holy Spirit. And you can remember back in Acts where the Spirit is referenced as a mighty rushing wind. So here we're seeing that not only was the light of Christ darkened, but the Holy Spirit was hampered in this time. So what is the smoke that could cause this spiritual darkness? And like I said, we already, we already looked at this bottomless pit being like the earth being created that was without form and void and the spirit just hovered over the water, not doing anything. That's where we're at now. The spirit is been hampered in this time period. So, but what about the smoke? So Hosea 13, 2. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All of it, the work of the craftsmen, they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore, they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passes away and the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor and as the smoke out of the chimney. So the smoke here leads us to idolatry, worshiping false gods, worshiping a false Jesus even. So this is exactly what the papacy um, has people engaged in, isn't it? 
We're praying to Mary. We're crucifying him in the Eucharist over and over and over again. We're, we're praying to saints. We're doing all of this stuff in the Roman church system that is against scripture. Um, we are creating false gods in all of this. So the smoke, the dew, the cloud that are shown here in Hosea, these are all temporary things. They pass away very quickly. And this is the same as the people who turn from God to engage false gods. Eternal life will not be theirs to claim. They will be a mist and a vapor on this world. And then in the end, those that follow the true God, the true Christ, and go to heaven have eternal life, but the rest will be destroyed. So they are temporary. They are a mist, whereas the Christ follower is eternal. And so this is what we're seeing with this smoke, that this idolatry that is that is covering Christ's righteousness in the world and hampering the spirit is this, this spirit of idolatry brought in by the papacy and they're being told to worship him as God on earth and pray to Mary and confess to a priest and do all of these things that are contrary to the gospel message. Um, now, as you might suspect, I've lost my place here where, where we're supposed to be going. Ah, so we have Satan falling and we see him entering the church and obscuring the light of Christ, causing darkness. Again, the dark ages. And so that's just important to, to keep looking at this. We have to look at the context of history. And we also have to understand that when we have prophecies, those prophecies come into clear understanding after they've happened. Then you can put the pieces together in Scripture and say, okay, this one has been fulfilled. It is after an event happens that we can then understand the prophecy. It's not before the prophecy. So for people to think that these prophecies are way signs, in a very rough sense, they are a way sign of where we, we, we're going and what's coming, but not exactly. It's more of a... Once you pass away point, now you know you've passed away point because now that prophecy can be broken down and looked at and through historical records of things that actually happened on this earth, we can say, okay, this happened, this is done, this is complete. There is another fulfilled prophecy from the Holy Spirit. Boom, it's done. And then we we can understand the gist of the things coming, but not when and, and so forth. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> verse three, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. Okay. We first must remember that in these trumpets, we are dealing with things that afflict the enemies of God's people. We know we're in the dark ages and we know the papacy is large and in charge and is an enemy to God's people. We know from various other studies that the papacy is the little horn power of Daniel, and he places himself above all that is called God. That makes him an enemy to God, but that makes him an enemy to us, because if he is making himself God on earth, the people that are following him are now in the smoke that arises from the bottomless pit. They are in that idolatry. So therefore, we have to find a judgment 
in this rough time frame that goes against the papacy, in this dark Middle Ages kind of uh, time frame. We have to find a, something that comes against the papacy. <clears throat> now, there are more clues in the following verses, but let's lock onto these locusts for a minute. The smoke or the idolatry which God hates has been uh, has unleashed these locusts. So where have we seen the locusts before? Um, where have we seen the locusts? Genesis 10.3 And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locusts into thy coast. Um, so his people are in captivity, just as the people who serve the Pope are in spiritual captivity to this day. Um, and notice what he says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? So the locusts are a judgment against this guy's exaltation and idolatry, who is keeping his people captive? So we have somebody exalting himself and he holds the, the children of God or the God's chosen people captive. It's the same thing the Pope's he's done. He exalts himself over God and he is holding the people captive spiritually. Um, and we see, you know, it's a common thread with God's people. They fall into idolatry frequently, many times. And it's usually pagan armies sent to administer the judgments. <clears throat> you know, it's every time Jerusalem gets taken, it's by pagans. You know, a uh, uh, figurative enemy of the, of the people comes, you know, from some other country. So when we look at the book of Joel, for instance... Um, we start getting these accounts. And Joel is interesting because it's prophetic and it's telling about events that have already happened in our time, in our life. These things have already happened. Um, he talks about the Assyrian uh, captivity and he talks about the Babylonian captivity. But these are dual prophecies that take us into the, the end times as well. So Joel is very interesting. You're getting prophecies that were for the people, you know, back years, many years ago. These prophecies were for them in the future. But now for us, those are in the past. And now they're historical accounts to us. But the dual nature of these prophecies still makes it a future prophecy for us to understand. Um, or for us to, to look into. So let's look at Joel, Joel 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for is nigh at hand. The day of the Lord is the second advent of Jesus Christ, his return. He came as a lamb, he will return as a lion. Um, this day of the Lord is him returning as a lion. Um, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the moving spread, or excuse me, as a moony, um, as the morning spread upon the mountains, the great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. 
The land is as the uh, Garden of Eden before them, and behind them desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Okay, so here, Joel is referring to this army having the appearance of horses. This is, if I remember correctly, this is Babylon he's talking about in this one. But in Joel 1, talking about Assyria, they're locusts. So we can equate the locusts to the horses. And when we apply what we learned from our Zechariah study about the four horses and, the, and our Revelation study, the Zechariah and the Revelation uh, four horsemen episodes go together to help us understand what these horses are, we can make sense of the locusts better. You see what I'm saying? By, by using... Joel 2 and getting to those horses, we can take the horses to the stuff that we learned in Revelation and Zechariah to understand what the locusts mean. Because he's talking about the horses in chapter 2 the same way that he's talking about the locusts in chapter 1. And locusts is what we're after. I really hope I didn't just confuse everybody with that. Hopefully you guys are still with me and are following what I'm saying and what my reasoning is. So Zechariah 10.2, for the idols have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, they went their way as a flock and they were troubled because there was no shepherd. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds and I pushed the goats. For the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them his goodly horse in the battle. So God has equated Judah as his goodly horse in battle. And we know the four horsemen of Revelation are churches. Why? Because we are spiritual Judah. We are his army. You see what I'm saying? Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, all this equates spiritually to his church. And so he's using Judah as his war horse. So in Revelation, when he used this hor these horses as the first four seals, these are his horses in battle. These are his churches as they come down through the first four seals. Um, and so the appearance of the horses are like a, a godly army. They, they, they have the appearance of horses. They have the appearance of of a godly army. Well, we're going to identify them in a second, but I believe this is to mean they are not to be confused with his church, his army, but are to be viewed as an instrument. They don't worship him, but they are serving him. So when Judah is made as his goodly horse in battle, he is using them to come back after these false shepherds and so forth and fight the false idolatry that is going on and the, the false prophecies and things that are happening. But here he says they appeared as horses and, and horsemen, right? So in this sense, God is using a pagan force, not his own church, but he's using them for the same thing to come in and attack this idolatry and this smoke that is rising up from the bottomless pit. So that's why it says they have the appearance, whereas and Zechariah says, they are my goodly horse in battle. But here, they appear to be. So I think that's what he means. They're my instrument, not my church. Um, so, 
me see here. Joel is chronologically the first time that we see the day of the Lord used. And again, it's a very important book uh, prophetically, and it uses dual prophecies and relates images to events that were happening in his time, future, and so forth. The locust infestation, natural disasters, he warns of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, as well as a future army that is coming. Thus the dual nature of the prophecy. So we can understand that the locusts are an army sent by God to exact judgment on the papacy in the Middle Ages. This narrows it down to one group. And this is where we have to step outside of our Bible for a moment, um, knowing that our what our time frame is and who is being attacked, and we have to go into the history books. Um, so this prophecy is talking about only one power here. It's talking about the Ottoman Empire, an Islamic empire. This was a huge army. Even today, Muslims are about 25% of the world's population. I mean, that's a lot of people. And so this humongous army is why they are likened to locusts. Um, they are numerous and destructive. And it's also interesting to note that the armies of Babylon and Assyria that got sent against his people in Jerusalem... Again, Babylon and Assyria, those armies, those empires that he sent against Jerusalem as judgment before, they come from the same geographical lands that the Ottoman Empire and the Muslims are coming from. He goes to the same places to bring this stuff down on his people. Can't be a coincidence. So Martin Luther one of our big-time reformers, he knew this to be true. And I got some quotes from him. He said, the Turk, this is the Ottomans, uh, um, this was anchored in Turkey, um, the Turk is the rod of the wrath of the Lord our God. Resisting the Turks, whom he presented as a scourge intentionally sent by God to sinning Christians, um, and that resisting it would have been equivalent to resisting the will of God. To fight against the Turks is the same thing as resisting God, who visits our sin upon us with his rod. So the Turks are the instrument of judgment coming against the papacy. Uh, so what about the scorpions? Exit, wait a minute, let me get my glass and I might be reading that wrong. Exit, uh, Ezekiel, excuse me, 2.6. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Uh, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat uh, that that I give you. And when I looked up, behold, a hand was set unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations, mournings, and woes. So these scorpions represent a rebellious house of false teachers and false shepherds and, and idolaters. The house is rebellious. Over and over and over, God says that. So what is rebellion? It's false worship. It's idolatry. Um, so when we look at verse 
3, again, we see that out of the smoke is idolatry. We have an army unleashed against the church. And this army has the power of scorpions or leading people astray, false shepherds. So um, let's notice some things that Ezekiel says here that connects us to the trumpets. So a book written within and with and without. Where else do we see that? We see that in Revelation 5. So we're back in the book of Revelations with this book inside now. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written um, written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So he connects us right here into back into Revelation. He says there are lamentations, mournings, mourning, and woes. And as we mentioned, um, the last three trumpets are woes. So this connects and we can safely establish the meaning of the scorpions. We will see them and the horses again, by the way. So, there we have that. Um, verse 4. Revelation 9, verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So the seal of God... Of course, is those that Revelation fourteen twelve says, here is the patience of saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let me say that again. The people that have the seal of God are what Revelation fourteen twelve is saying, the patience of the saints. Here are them that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's important to note that a, a sign, a seal, a mark, these are all interchangeable terms, and the seal is in the forehead, right? The forehead. When you read Deuteronomy 6, um, chapter 6, you see God discussing with his people the commandments and how they are to handle them. And we get to Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, he says, And thou shalt bind them, this is the commandments if you read the entire chapter, bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. If you read all of chapter 6, you'll see, again, he's talking about the commandments. So frontlets between the eyes equals foreheads, exactly where the mark of the beast will be on the hand or the forehead, right? Hmm. It's the Sabbath. I'm just telling you, it's the Sabbath. That's the mark. Um... So um, I'm actually working on, my next series is called No King But Caesar. And that that episode, I've, I've been working on really hard. It'll expound on all this. I'm really excited um, about that one. But so the those that have the seal, the seal of God in their foreheads will be the ones keeping the commandments. And Deuteronomy tells us that this sign, bind them as a sign upon thy hand and frontlets between thy eyes. That sign is the same as a seal, is the same as a mark. Um, so we've learned before um, here that grass represents people groups. Trees equal people as well. But many times the trees are people of higher status. But being green, what is being green? This grass is full of life. These people are full of life. How can you be full of life, especially when we're talking about a biblical prophecy? That means that you are in Christ because Christ is life. Christ is eternal life. And so this green grass are these people that are with Christ. And this trumpet is saying, Ottoman Empire, as you terrorize 
the papacy, do not mess with my people that have the seal of God. Don't mess with the green grass, the people that are full of life in me. Don't mess with those. So those who are in Christ are not to be harmed. But here's where it gets fun. Did you know the Islamic Turks, the Ottoman Empire, had no issues with Protestants? It was just the Catholics. It was just the Catholics. So <clears throat> as I read up on all this, you know, I read quite a bit about it, but um, I find this article from John Opperine. Not exactly sure who he is. I don't remember. Um, I actually wrote this months ago. But the um, the Ottomans, this is according to John Opperine, the Ottomans actually valued the Protestants, unlike the Orthodox and Catholics, who they saw as the same in terms of theology. The Ottomans admired early Protestantism um, and their opposition to icons. Opposition to icons or idols. Now, what did we just say about this army being sent for? It was sent because of this smoke that's obscuring uh, God, uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This smoke of idolatry. That's why this army is being sent. So isn't that interesting that these people admired the Protestants for not being idolaters. But they dislike the Catholics for being idolaters. Exactly what God is sending them in for. Um, uh, now you might say, well, the Muslims were opposed to idolatry. Um, and you said that the scorpions were these people pushing the idolatry. These scorpions coming in. Um, so and if you thought that, that's a great point. If you, I'm telling you that they don't like the idolatry, but they are the scorpions. Um, this is because the Ottomans didn't believe in idolatry, the nature, uh, very nature of them denying Christ though, and pushing a religious system that is contrary to the Bible by definition makes them idolaters. They don't see it that way that they are being idolaters by denying the true Christ and following a different God. Um, they don't see it that way. So what else does John say here, uh, John Operine? Politically, they promoted the rise of Protestantism because it divided Central Europe, making the Habsburg Empire more susceptible to Ottoman conquests. Suleiman the Magnificent and his ally, King Henry II of France, would even reach out to German Protestant princes fighting against the Holy Roman Empire, their mutual enemy. Um... So therefore, the, uh, the idea of Ottomans as enemies of all Christians isn't true. They were enemies of Christians who opposed them like the Catholics. Often fighting, eh, well, I don't need to read that. So what we see here is that these people were told, don't harm the green grass. Don't harm them that have the seal of God in their forehead. And they didn't. They left our Protestant reformers be. In fact, they helped them. There was There's many occasions where they actually lent support and assistance and sanctuary um, to Protestant people as they were making war against the papacy. Just like the prophecy says. The, that command that's given in the prophecy is followed through on by the Ottoman Turks. Uh, verse 5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months, and their torment was the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Okay. So, 
we have to do a little bit of math here, and we have to look at our history books here for this five months. But we know that this five months is going on in this general period of time where the Ottoman Empire is coming against the Catholic Church. So, five months. This equals, this is a prophecy. We have day for a year. We have 150 years. So how do we get that? We have five months by 30 days in a month. The Jewish calendar was 30 days per month. So we have 150 days, which a day for a year tells us we have 150 years that this is happening. So now we have to kind of start looking for some dates and find this. So what we find is the Ottoman Empire started in 1299 and went through 1922, believe it or not. Um, that's one heck of an empire, isn't it? So it went from 1299 to 1922. <coughs> and we have to use history, again, for all this kind of stuff. If you're going to see the fulfillment of a prophecy, you have to find it playing out historically. So... We also see that in 1453, the Ottomans sack Constantinople and therefore take down the Eastern Roman Empire. So if the empire falls in 1453, then we must understand that this 150 years must proceed, precede, excuse me, 1453. Why? Because it said you have power to torment for this amount of time. They're not, after they collapse it, they will not be in there tormenting. This is as they are going after them. So if it falls in 1453, then we have to go previous, 150 years previous to that. Um, so now we must assume, um, we, we just have to basically assume that the starting point is actually the 1299 date. That's when the Roman Empire started. That's when it's credited as started. So we have to assume that 150 years starts then. And so we go five months from 1299, 150 years, we get to 1449. This ends just prior to that 1453 date. So can't just be a random start date, right? Just just random? No, I doubt it. So something had to happen that year. Well, on January 6th of that year, Constantine the Sixth is crowned Byzantine Empire Emperor at Maestra. So he would be the last in the line of rulers that can be traced back to the founding of Rome. He's the last actual Roman ruler there of the Roman Empire. And this comes about in 49 a few years before Byzantium falls or Constantinople falls or um, Istanbul. Those are the three names of that city. So that prophecy works. That prophecy fills in there. And that's how we get what the five months are. Now, I'm running a little sly on time, of course. So we have the next five verses. Here's the thing. We're going to read them. But what we're going to see is they are just a repeat of the first five verses. This is a repeat and enlarged scenario. So I'm not going to break them down. We're just going to read them. However, it would have been better when I did all this that I discussed them. When I went through the first ones, I should have just incorporated each verse that 
cooperates with one of the first five verses, I should have brought it in. So I'm sorry, guys. I messed that up. I just kind of let these ones dangle, and that's not really great. But you're here to study, so maybe you can take them back and see where what we're talking about, how these relate to the first five. So here's the next five verses. We're going to read them and then move on to 11, which is a new one for us. So, and in those days... Men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And their heads were as it was a crowns like gold and their faces were the faces of men. And they had hair as hair of women and their teeth was as teeth of lions. Uh, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle. Uh, and they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and they had power to hurt men five months. So we just have the same thing over. We have the locusts. We have the women in their teeth or in the teeth of the lion. We have, they're, they're, that's the Ottomans. We have um, you know, the horses and the, the chariots running into battle. We have the scorpions and the stings. We have the five months. It's just the same thing as the first fives telling us the same story. So now to verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Okay, so we've already linked earth in its falling state now as being like earth uh, before it was fully formed in Genesis. It was in, you know, we're in chaos, just like it was in chaos, um, that's how we get to our bottomless pit reference, that we're just in turmoil, chaos, no form, no direction, whatever. Um, but we have an angel here that has this key over the bottomless pit. This, of course, is Lucifer. This goes back to the other key that we talked about. He has the key to earth. He's the angel of the bottomless pit. Um, he is, this is his kingdom. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. The earth is his. That's why he was able to offer Jesus the world if Jesus would bow to him in the temptations. Uh, so now God is on the throne. He's in full control. We've already talked about that. But ownership was ceded to Satan. Ownership of the earth was ceded. The deed was handed to him in the garden of Eden when Eve ate of the apple or fig or whatever it actually was. And so God is going to permit Satan again to be prince of this world for a time. Now, Ab Abaddon, this is the Strong's Greek 3, meaning destroying angel. Apollyon, Strong's Greek 623, destroyer. Well, destroying angel and destroyer. This is... Lucifer, it's Satan. Um, and we recall in our first season, we showed how Satan is the author of the king of the south and the king of the north spiritual conditions. He's the author of atheism, and he is the author of apostate Christianity. He's the author of our apostate Protestantism that's in this country that is forming an image to the first beast that he was the author of, the Roman church. He's the author of all heretical religions. Um, and, you know, even when you, look, when you look at the Hindus, their god Shiva, that a lot of people are... Um, enamored with because there is a statue of Shiva outside this CERN facility 
Um, Shiva is the destroyer. The Norse have a goddess, Herja, Her, 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 I don't know, H-E-R-J-A. Um, that god or goddess is a destroyer. And there are many the world over that are referred to as a destroyer, which, you know, of course, is just all Satan to start with. Um, so you're left and you're right, you're Democrat, you're Republican. <clears throat> He's the author of these political systems. It's all shown through the sanctuary system. And um, that's why that sanctuary study was so important. Um, he is authoring all of this that's around us. And the only thing that protects us from us is our scripture that Jesus left for us. It's here to get us through this. So your false church systems all of them, your political systems, all the things that are going on in this world. These things that, these things that got you desperate to run out to the polls to vote to make sure that Joe Biden doesn't make it in, um, you know, because he's doing Satan's work and stuff. Well, he is, he is, but so is the other side that you think is righteous and doing Christ's work. They are pushing your buttons to make you go vote against the other guy. It's um, it's all Satan's game. And until we realize that and step away from this stuff and just follow. We were, I was watching a sermon yesterday and this pastor, his whole message was follow the lamb wherever he goes. And there were some things I picked up in that sermon that I thought were you know truly profound and there are things that I want to go back and look into, maybe even make a couple episodes on a couple of things I heard him say. But again, his his whole sermon was follow the lamb wherever he goes. And so that is where we come in now as a remnant church is what he said is right. We we have to focus and on the lamb and follow the lamb wherever he goes. We got to stop with the Fox News. We got to stop with the MSNBC and the CNN and all this. And we our our pastors have to stop standing up there and telling us how to vote for things. Um, all this we have to back away from this stuff. And because all you're doing is making yourself a useful tool for Satan's plan. To start with, he is orchestrating these chess pieces. God's not down here orchestrating all this. He is not orchestrating chaos. He's not orchestrating hatred. He's not orchestrating two sides bashing against each other constantly and name calling and all this stuff. God's not orchestrating that. And if you think that he's part of this government when he already said that his kingdom is not of this world, but it is of heaven, then I why are you not listening to the word of Jesus himself. That's what that's the stuff that that makes me crazy sometimes when I listen to people talk. They have all these practices and opinions and viewpoints and they claim to be Christ followers and, and Christ lovers, but they don't actually act out the things that Christ himself said. They don't they never actually seem to know what Jesus said in the Bible. It's it's madness. It's madness. They think that Jesus is all about assault rifles in America and our American flag and, and all of this, even though America is loaded with paganism and Egyptian junk and, and Roman junk. And somehow you think that he is part of that with pyramids on our dollar bills and stuff? 
Read what Jesus says and you will know what's going on around you. All you have to do is read what he says. But anyway, um, I thank you guys for tuning in. This was the fifth trumpet in our uh, Delivering the Remnant series. We have two trumpets left. And then we're going to get to the the episode or episodes that I'm really excited about, No King But Caesar. I think that really ties all this in together very nicely. That's it. Thank you guys. Love you guys. Be blessed.